it's hard to imagine that when Jesus frees us, that he would ask us to be quiet about it. I'm done with believing these lies. Oh, I'm done with believing these this lies. This is the All at Once podcast for women and those who love them. We are God's image bearers, exploring ways religion has been distorted to silence the marginalized and to justify abuse. We are Christians, seeking to comfort, heal, and free people from the pain caused by our own religion. We carry much, like all of humanity, all at once. I'm Kelly Browning, and to God be the glory. Cindy and I had so much we wanted to share with you, so we decided to break up the interview into two parts. The first part was all about what the Bible says, hermeneutics, studying the Bible, and a lot of good educational resources that we can take with us and carry with us as we look at the Bible and study it. Now, what we're talking about in this episode is Cindy's experiences as a preacher and just some good, solid life advice for us as we question our belief systems and press forward into our callings and passions. I have a big smile on my face as I record the introduction to this episode because it's so good. And I'm really excited for you to hear what else Cindy has to say to all of us. So take what is good and beneficial for you and leave what isn't. Here we go. So Cindy, tell me a little bit about the first time you you preached and and kind of your journey to being comfortable preaching and teaching in front of males and females. Sure, sure. So I'm pretty sure my first sermon was in 2013. And it was a it was a solid first sermon. I um it was I taught about blessing. And so um I was in school at the time and was doing all kinds of word studies and so I taught about that. One I one thing I'll say though is kind of the run up to that sermon. David, our pastor, asked me to preach probably a, a year before that. Mm-hmm. And I said no, uh, because I was I couldn't imagine myself doing that. I and it made me extremely nervous, like I had a physical reaction when I read that email. And so I said no. And I'm so grateful to him that he asked me again um, and gave me a second chance. So I'll say that, that it wasn't like an immediately obvious that I wanted to preach whenever I was asked. The second thing I'll say is something that made it easier is I was subbing for adult Sunday school classes at that point. So it wasn't a huge jump. It it is it was a huge jump, but it wasn't a massively huge jump. And I say that because to draw out the importance of getting young women in the pipeline, mm. right? Of making these steps, giving them access to these smaller opportunities to lead and to speak and to study and to do these things that they want to do, uh, giving our young men opportunities to be with children, right? Mm-hmm. So that when it comes time for the big ask, that they're ready, they're trained. It doesn't feel like we're um, throwing them into the deep end of the pool all of a sudden. And so I was somewhat in the pipeline as much as I already could be. I was subbing for um, an adult Sunday school class. But yeah, I was, I, I worked hard on that first sermon and preached it. And 
to tell you the truth, all I saw in the audience or in uh, of those people looking back at me was pure joy. Mm. I just saw big, big smiles. It was just not a problem. Women had preached in our church before. Glenda, uh, Glenda Dawson, Glenda McDonald, of course, preached many times. Um, I don't think Becky Town had preached quite yet. We had brought in a guest speaker who speak who spoke several times when Joe was pastor. So the precedent was already there. I was not the first woman by any stretch of the imagination. Sally Rohr had preached. I'm trying to think if there was anyone else. And so there are women who went before me who who made that easier. And of course, having when the you can't underestimate how important it is to have a man support you when yeah. a man is usually in that role. So to have David Bridges be 100% supportive, to have the elders 100% supportive. Now we have a great head elder, right? Laura is fantastic, is so, so important. Mm -hmm. I think Susan might have actually been the head elder Mm -hmm. at that point. So I want to say that I didn't appear out of nowhere. There was a long tradition of embracing women in leadership and in preaching roles. Uh, Prior to me, I just, all I needed to do was step in and, and do the work. To say yes. I had to say yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's very cool. So talk to me a little bit about your upbringing. Was that normal to you mm. growing up to see women in leadership positions? Mm. Was this something that your family supported in you? Um, kind of what was going on internally and historically for you mm. whenever you got that first ask, that right. physical reaction? Right. Um, no, the answer is no. I did not see women preach when I was growing up, I can think of one exception and I'm not even sure it was an exception. So no, it was all men up in front of the pulpit, all men in leadership positions. The only time I ever saw a woman in front was she was leading music. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that when we moved to Haviland, my last two years of high school, Brocky Harvey, what uh, is her maiden name? Harvey. Now it's Follette. She was the first female pastor I knew, and she was really influential in Mm -hmm. my life. Just, she was so good at her job. She could sing, she could preach, she could lead, she could mentor. She I, she still all do, does all of these things. She's an amazing woman. And so that was really the first time I saw that. And not only saw a woman doing it, but having the respect of the predominantly male leadership that she swam in those waters with. My sister is an Episcopalian. She had a female priest. Mm. And when I really first started, I reached out to her. I sent her an email. Um, I'd never met her. And she was very generous and sent me a long email back of here's how she navigated some of these issues. And one of the things that she said that I've always remembered is it's hard to imagine that when Jesus frees us, that he would ask us to be quiet about it. I've never forgotten that really lovely sentiment. And I agree with it. Why would Jesus free us and then ask us to be silent about it and put put a dome, put a lid on our freedom like that. And so she was really, really influential. Um, As far as my family, it was, it was a little bit harder for them. My dad, the first time he saw me preach was actually just this past summer. So, um, wow. mm -hmm, He saw me preach when I was up in Kansas. My mom, unfortunately never got to hear me. So I, I wish that had been different. I don't think it's an, an overt desire. I just think it, it, it's uncomfortable. It just is it's uncomfortable, uncomfortable at him. first. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like you say, that first moment, it kind of takes your breath away. And, mm-hmm. but then you do it and you're like, Oh, that's okay. Everybody is still alive. And that actually went, 
quite great. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's my experience. I, and I want to say again, how much support I got from friends with friends. If anybody at yes. my church fest, I never heard it. I, yeah. it, I don't know who they fussed to, but it wasn't to me. I'm really, really grateful for that support. My preaching could not have happened without it. Before we continue, I want you to hear about what my friend Rebecca is doing through her business, Second Journey. Rebecca is one of our Patreon sponsors for our $10 a month membership, and we are forever grateful for her partnership. Saying goodbye to false stories is something we do every day in the Second Journey community. Hi, I'm Rebecca, your coach and companion on The Second Journey. I'm offering you a free core values guide at secondjourney.life guide. It takes important inner work to discover your true self, but the work is worth it because you want to live fully as the woman you were created to be. So come get your free core values guide at secondjourney.life guide. Thank you, Rebecca. As a reminder, you can visit patreon.com slash all at once and sign up to become a monthly financial patron. And if you sign up and you're one of the first five people to sign up for the $10 a month patron, you will receive that values deck from Second Journey that Rebecca created and sponsors. Also, visit our website allatonce.us for merch and other info for how you can support our work. Okay. Now back to Cindy. Did you experience any criticism on this journey, even like moving away from Mm -hmm. teaching to being a stay-at-home mom and then entering into your current field of study, which is probably, I would Mm -hmm. say, like your life's work of Mm -hmm. of being an advocate and a voice for women in our culture and our world? Mm -hmm. What what are some of the things that you've had to be resilient to Mm -hmm. and, and to overcome along that way? Yeah. So as far as voiced criticism, really, I experience it from my neighbors. I've had at least two neighbors where they're, they'll say, I think the Bible is very clear that women ought not to preach. So they hear that I'm either studying the Bible or that I'm preaching and they, they want to have that conversation. So that's happened twice. And so, I mean, but the good thing is I know, I know my texts, you know, like I can talk about first Timothy two, I can talk about Genesis and I don't think they're convinced they've been convinced by my arguments, but those are the only times I'm even having those conversations. I think barriers have often been a little bit more subtle things like, and it's really, it's sometimes when I'm in meetings, for one thing, I'm often the only woman in a meeting, Mm -hmm. um, or I'm the only woman in a Bible classroom that happens a lot. When I was at Fuller, I had the full support of my professors, but I was in there with a lot of classmates who were very, very conservative. And so I would, I would feel like I had a lot to overcome. And the problem is that when, when you enter into an arena where women have not often been welcome, you feel like you have to be great right away. Yes. You hold the whole (laughs) gender on your back. Right. Um, Like, and so I remember thinking with my second sermon in particular, If I don't do well in this sermon, it's not just that people won't think Cindy's a bad preacher. They'll think women are bad preachers. Yeah. And I put an immense amount of pressure on myself. Um, Some of it is justified, right? Um, Anybody who's usually marginalized, who who first enters into a position, they have a lot of pressure on them to do well and to do well 
right away. Right. Um, so it's harder to ask questions when you need help. It's harder to say, here's where I'm struggling. It's harder to, it's harder to have any emotion other than being solid and steady, right? Because any, anything else is perceived as, oh, well, we knew she wasn't ready or we knew she wasn't qualified. If, and so there's, there's, a, there's pressure that mm-hmm. I've often felt. Some of it's self-imposed, but some of it's mm-hmm. legit. Mm-hmm. We're hard on underrepresented populations mm-hmm. when they first join. We're really, yeah. really hard on those people. It's, it's hard. It would be much worse if I wasn't white. Yeah. Much, much worse. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, this is going to maybe sound shallow and it's okay if my listeners judge me for what I'm about to say, but I often try to think of what I would do if I were just born a white male. Mm. Like how much, like how much confident would I exude and what would I just believe about myself Mm -hmm. to be true? I'm not saying that males aren't, don't struggle with being Mm. self-conscious or anything like that, but I have just noticed that I, I feel, and I have seen underrepresented people groups having to work 10 times harder to prove stereotypes wrong Mm. just to be respected in their field, Mm -hmm. just to be able to do their job. Well, Mm -hmm. they have to do it 10 times better than anybody else has ever done it before. That's exactly right. And I'm very aware of that. And I feel like whenever I fall into that trap, when I spiral, whenever Mm -hmm. I start freaking out, which is to be expected when you're doing something new and (laughs) exciting and vulnerable, that there's something wrong with me and that I should back away. Mm. But I think that's where we have to acknowledge that being resilient to those lies, being resilient and saying it's okay to have that and to also do this at the same time, to have that Mm. both and mentality instead Mm of if I mess up one time or if I freak out one time, then I'm not good at this. Mm. And that's just not true. Mm -hmm. And I think that's harder for women in special populations to – do that because there are actual repercussions when they right. don't. It's not in their imaginations. It's it's, it's, it's real. real. It, no, I mean, it's real. Yeah. yeah. It, it's not just a feeling like, oh, I'm sorry you feel that way, which I hate that phrase, by the way. Um, but versus I'm just sorry, but it's a real valid mm-hmm. repercussion to their life mm-hmm. and their families if they don't overperform mm-hmm. like everybody else. Because mm-hmm. that's what they've, I mean, that's what happens. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just to give it an, an example, um, I guarantee I think more about my clothing than a male preacher does. Oh yeah. I mean, like there's just, there's more, <laughs> there's just more expectations of what a professional woman looks like versus expectations of what a professional man looks like. You know, it's mm-hmm. like the old, uh, it's not even that old, just a few years ago, there's a meteorologist in Australia who wore the same suit for a year on TV every day for a year just to see if someone would notice and no one did. And he did it in specific solidarity with his, with his coworker who was a woman and the way that she was critiqued on her clothing and the way that uh, that was put under a microscope. And just to say, there's a difference here. There's a huge difference. And so these things are real. I mean, we're, we're getting there. We're making, we're making headway, but it still is something that we have to think about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's still that pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there any encouragement that you would like to share with young people or maybe not not young people, but just women in special populations or the marginalized to encourage them to not stop doing the things that they're doing to make the world a better place? Mm, Yeah. The first thing I would tell them is learn how to trust yourself. That is 
key, key, key. Man, I, I, I don't, I don't even know what else to say in follow up. Trust your gut. If something feels off, it is off. Mm-hmm. If something feels interesting to pursue, it is interesting to pursue. If you are called to do something, or even if you don't want to use the big word call, if you are passionate about something, follow it. That there are a hundred messages out there that's that will make you doubt that. There are problems that you probably maybe you haven't seen it represented, right? Maybe you're going to be the first that you know of to to track that down. Do it anyway. I have never regretted pushing through that doubt about myself, about, again, just an idea of that sounds interesting to me. I want to write a paper about that. I want to preach about that. I have never regretted that. Not ever, not once. And so, but I had to learn to trust myself. I still do it. I still have to say, listen to yourself. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I will, that's a mantra that I use a lot. Listen to what you're saying. I say it to myself, yeah. Cindy, listen to what you're saying. Even if I'm not even saying it out loud, listen to this voice in your head. She has something that's really important that you need to listen to because I brush it off. Right. I almost always brush it off. So I we get- write ourselves off as being mm-hmm. unimportant or unbelievable. Exactly. And because that's how we're trained by our culture to, yeah. to think about ourselves. And so I think we often have to push through a lot more of that. It's hard to really believe that mm-hmm. and to do it in that moment when not just your own doubt, but the doubts of others seem to really be elevated in volume to persist. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I would give that advice. I would say uh, some advice I often give is give people a chance to tell, you no. Right. We often don't even send in the application because we think now nah, they're going to reject it. And so we are the ones who have said no. It might be a yes. Yeah. I almost didn't apply to rice. Mm-hmm. I came really, really close because I just thought I'll never get into rice. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I belong there. Yeah. I, what if I had not given them that chance? I, I can't even imagine if I, I had done that. For the last little story that I, if you don't mind sharing it, that I just remembered about you getting into rice. Can you just, to end us in our time together, yeah. will you just tell us the story about when you were driving after <laughs> you found out that you got into rice? Okay. Yeah. So I was waiting for a letter that would tell me yes or no. I had gotten it. I'd been checking the mailbox. And one day I got an email from, um, it was in the middle of the day, right before lunch. I got an email from... Uh, the professor who's now my advisor, uh, saying, Cindy, by now you will have heard that you have been accepted at Rice University. And I started screaming. The dog started barking. Uh, It was just this moment. I was by myself in the house and, you know, ran to the mailbox and there was the acceptance letter. And right after that, I was meeting my friend Karen for lunch. And I remember driving and thinking, don't get in an accident. (laughs) My life has just, it's not just started, but it's just taken this huge jump forward. All these things I could imagine about myself are actually now a possibility. Don't get in a wreck. Don't run into somebody. Like, don't don't anybody run into me. I really, it's really, really important that I stay healthy in this moment. And so it was just such a funny thing to think, you know, Mm -hmm. but I just, I really remember thinking my future has just opened up and it's really important that. I step into it. Yes. And not how old, in an how old were you when that? How old were you when 
when I got when the I was letter, accepted yeah. at Rice. That was well, I'm in my fifth year, so I was forty. You're forty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. May that be encouragement for all of us. Absolutely. To to mm-hmm. keep pressing into the things that we're passionate about because yeah. we have time. Oh, so much time. Speaking of time, we recorded the last two episodes back in January mm-hmm. of 2020 mm-hmm. and Cindy and I were talking and she wanted to come back on the podcast and add an addendum to trusting yourself and mm-hmm. the content that we covered in these two episodes given current events. Right. So Cindy. Yeah. So current events were it's the end of September, 2020. We're sitting at your dining room table, fully masked yep. um, because a lot has changed since we since we recorded those episodes. Aliens haven't abducted us yet. That's like the we, only thing left. We're waiting for the aliens <laughs> to come save us and they haven't showed up and I'm really disappointed. Yes. Um, yeah, COVID has taken over our world. Yeah. Um, we're we're still in the midst of it, trying to find our way through. Hamilton dropped on Disney Plus. Amen. Snaps. Yes. Um, and our country is dealing with racial tension a lot racial Mm -hmm. tension that really came to a head with the death of George Floyd on May 25th. And that's what I wanted to come back and talk about because, you know, I made the, I I gave this advice and said, trust yourself, right? If something feels off, it is off. That's what I said when we first recorded. And I stand by that. There's too many voices in the world that, that try to talk women out of trusting themselves. And so I want to be a voice that says, your gut is right. So if something feels off, it is off. But I want to talk about specifically something that actually happened the same day George Floyd died in another part of the country in New York Central Park. And that day was the day that Amy Cooper was walking her dog in Central Park unleashed and came upon Christian Cooper, no relation. He was a birder and he asked her to leash her dog as the rules of Central Park State. And she perceived his presence and his request as a threat. And she called 911 on him. And so we all saw that video that went viral. And I want to stress again, that happened the same day that George Floyd was killed. I did not know that. I didn't either until I started looking up the dates. And those both happened on May 25th. The reason I bring that up is because Amy Cooper, even though I've never met her, was following my advice. She was trusting herself. Yes. Her gut said something is off. Her gut said something was off and something was off, but it wasn't him. It was her. Yes. She was the one who was bringing the offness to that situation. Yes. Her preconceived notions of danger in the presence of a black man, that was what was off. He was fine. And I want to bring that up because I think we need to add an amendment to our trust yourself constitution. If you are in danger, if you are physically in danger, if there's the presence of a weapon, then yes, call the police, do what you need to do to get yourself to a safe place. But if that's not true, like think in terms of a flowchart. are you physically in danger? If the answer is yes, call 911, remove yourself from the situation. If the answer is no, then I think we just have to ask a blunt question. Is there a person of color involved? You and I, Kelly, are white women. Yes. If we feel like we're in danger just because a person of color is around us, we need to check ourselves and make sure that we are not misperceiving our own safety because it has consequences, right? We saw that in the case of George Floyd, the police were called and he lost his life. We as white women have work to do. 
Yeah. We, you know, we, we talked about the hermeneutic, right? Mm-hmm. The interpretive lens, this, what these glasses that we put on that shape the way that we interpret the Bible. We yes. talked about that in the first episode. Same thing is going on when you interpret the things that are going on around you. Yeah. You have glasses on and you've got to see what those glasses are. Yeah. Especially, like I said, like you and I, we're white women. We got to make sure mm-hmm. that we don't become someone who puts someone else in danger just because we we have really bad glasses on. And that's our responsibility mm-hmm. as white women and as Absolutely. white people to, to do that work. Mm-hmm. It is not the responsibility of the person being harmed to do the work. And and doing the work, like we just said, is creating a little flow chart in our minds mm-hmm. to acknowledge our implicit racism that we just mm-hmm. absorb right. through the culture around us. Right. Even if we aren't racist mm-hmm. or have behaved in racist ways, mm-hmm. we are still absorbing our lenses for danger and perceived danger. That's exactly right. Yep. We just, we, we just, it's the air we breathe is what black activists are telling us. And, and I hear them and I believe them. It's my job to see it. I have to see it. And we have to acknowledge this is a, this is an old problem, right? This is an old, old problem. The story of Emmett Till being accused of wolf whistling at a white woman and the white men around her became enraged and lynched him. Mm. I mean, this is, this happened. This is, we just have to acknowledge that there's a lot of damage to be undone. And it starts with you and I checking our glasses, checking out what are our interpretive lenses, doing the work before we get into a situation where we put someone else in harm's way because we have perceived badly what's actually going on. Yeah. Trust yourself, but improve yourself. So that when your gut speaks, it's it's right. You know, it's yes. right. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Cindy, for those words that will help me and have helped me as we've been preparing for this episode mm-hmm. to acknowledge my own biases that I already am doing the work to undo, mm-hmm. but still have so much work to do because it is in the air I breathe. Mm-hmm. And so thank mm-hmm. you for sharing yeah. that. And thank you for being on the podcast and for teaching us about hermeneutics, how to separate uh, the interpretation of the Bible from the Bible itself, Mm -hmm. and to acknowledge and empower people groups that we often ignore, overlook, Mm. and implicitly harm. Mm. Well said. Thank you for being- Snaps for you as well. (laughs) Put me on Hamilton. Yeah. And well, you hear that. Thank you so much, though, for for doing this and for saying these hard words. And hopefully our listeners can hear that if if you're white, you have some responsibility here. Mm -hmm. And it's worth it. Mm -hmm. It saves lives. It does save lives. That's not overstating. Mm -mm. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me twice. (laughs) Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. I love that I'm here. Thank you. You're welcome. Before you go... I want to let you know about the amazing women who contribute to the production of the All at Once podcast. First, we have Michelle Rayborn. She is the singer and songwriter of our theme song, A New Day. You can find this song and more of her work anywhere you get your jams. Other contributors to the podcast include Sarah Jordan, Molly Bays, Taylor Diggs, Maddie Scott, and Samantha Gall. Thank you for your hard work to get us to this point. Also, remember to visit us on our website, allatonce.us, to become an email subscriber, a monthly financial patron, or to buy some swag. Thanks for listening.